Hello, beautiful souls. In an effort to relieve some of the stress surrounding the coronavirus pandemic, I have decided to release the Soul Flow audiobook here on this podcast for free. There are 15 chapters in total, 17 if you count the introduction and closing thoughts, and a new chapter will be released daily starting Friday, March 20th, 2020 through Sunday, April 5th, 2020. Please enjoy this free audiobook, and if you'd like to support me and my work, consider leaving a review on Amazon or for this podcast, following me on social media. My Instagram handle is author Kristen Martin, posting about this book to social media, and sharing this podcast and my other resources, which you can find linked in the show notes with your friends and family. I am sending love and light to you all during this time. Enjoy the audiobook. Chapter 4, The Consumption Cycle In all honesty, I've been putting off writing this chapter because there's so much I want to say and yet so much I want to keep to myself. In the last chapter, we talked about the concept of wanting more on an intangible level. So let's switch to the more tangible plane, shall we? Consumption comes in many different forms. From overspending on shopping sprees, to overindulging at the buffet, to gambling, drug, and alcohol addictions, to scrolling social media, to marathoning your favorite binge-worthy Netflix originals, sometimes it feels like all we do is consume. Don't get me wrong, consumption isn't inherently good or bad. After all, it's how we stay informed within our communities as well as on a global scale, connect with like-minded individuals, discover new things, and sometimes even find that much-desired inspiration. But have you ever stopped to ask yourself just how much you're consuming, and more importantly, exactly what that consumption entails? Are you constantly watching news channels that strike the fear of God into you? Are you spending half your day scrolling through Instagram comparing your life to everyone else's highlight reel? Are you re-watching every season of The Real Housewives of Beverly Hills for the fourth time? Are you reaching for that third glass of Cabernet on your second bottle? Like I said before, consumption isn't inherently good or bad, but consumption in excess? We might be leaning heavily toward the latter. Real quick, I want you to make a list of everything you've consumed today. And if it's too much to keep straight in your head, then write it down. I'm talking the music you jammed to while getting ready this morning, the triple shot espresso you ordered in the Starbucks drive-thru, the podcast you listened to on your way to work, the hours you spent scrolling social media, emails, and news sites, the candles you bought at Bath & Body Works on your lunch break. All of it. Now circle, or mentally tick off, those items that are media-based or information-based, and yes, that includes any type of e-learning through digital courses or programs. Now go through the list again and underline the things you created. And no, those 20 emails you sent at work today don't count. For those who are at least aware that their soul flow exists, you may find that you actually did carve out a little time to create. Maybe to write a blog post or sketch something in a notebook or write some words for a book project or cook a meal from scratch. But for those of you who didn't underline anything, when was the last time you created something? Painted, sang, wrote a story, sculpted, sketched, played the piano, strummed a guitar, initiated a DIY project, busted out the sewing machine, took a photo that wasn't going to be posted on Instagram? When was the last time you built something from nothing? 
The consumption cycle occurs when we spend all of our time consuming and little to no time creating. Even if you think that you don't have a creative bone in your body, I can almost guarantee that six-year-old you would make a mud pie and fling said mud pie at your face. Oh look, you did create something. A mud pie. All joking aside, this is a serious epidemic. As children, the world is our oyster. We don't spend as much time consuming because we're outside playing in the streets. Although sadly, with the rise of technology, I'm pretty sure this has changed. When I was growing up, the internet was just becoming a thing. Oh, AOL dial-up. And so the way I spent my time was by playing outside with my friends and, you guessed it, creating. I created makeshift books out of printer paper and wrote my stories in them. I brainstormed plays and acted them out with my Barbie dolls and American Girl dolls. I made handwritten spelling and math worksheets that I used to teach the younger kids in my neighborhood. I made up new worlds, new languages, new recipes, new games, creating, 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 always creating. As children, we are, in a sense, fearless. As adults, not so much. It's easy to see why our fearlessness fades as we grow up. We're introduced to responsibilities, and with those responsibilities come things like expectation, judgment, comparison, rejection, societal pressures, fear, fear, fear. We're introduced to fear, fear of being judged, compared, and rejected. We quickly come to realize then that when we consume, we can't be judged, compared, or rejected. So we play it safe by never creating. We stay small by solely consuming. What we fail to realize is that by only consuming, we're allowing everything else to dictate how we live our lives. This newscaster says it's not safe to go outside, so you don't go outside. This fashion blogger says that if you don't own a pair of espadrilles, your wardrobe will die a slow death, so you buy a pair of espadrilles. This fitness guru says that if you don't drink this protein powder, you'll be destined to look like she did in her before photos, which were probably stunning to begin with. When exactly did we lose the ability to think for ourselves? Correction, let me rephrase that. When did we choose to stop thinking for ourselves? When did we choose to stop making our own decisions? I'll tell you when. It was the moment you decided you'd rather pursue a life of mediocrity and safety than risk a life of creation, wonderment, and joy. It was the moment you decided to settle for less because you didn't think you were worth your big, crazy, totally out there dreams. It was the moment you decided, subconsciously or not, to snuff out your soul flow. If you happen to identify with the level of consumption I've mentioned over the last few pages, please, please don't scold yourself. When you scold yourself, you judge yourself for doing something wrong. Judgment brings about feelings of shame. And when we feel ashamed, we turn to those vices that place a temporary band-aid over how we're feeling. Shopping sprees, gambling, drugs, overindulging, etc. Overconsumption ultimately stems from the fear of not having enough. Deep down, you don't really buy that new purse because it's trending. You buy it because you believe it'll somehow provide validation that you have enough. You don't hoard items because they hold sentimental value. You hoard them because what if one day you need this particular size strainer even though you have four more and haven't used any of them in over a year? Let go of the damn strainer, Susie. You don't eat a tub of ice cream every single night before bed because you feel you deserve it after a day of eating clean and working out. You eat it because your feelings of inadequacy lead you to sabotage your goals. 
You don't believe you're worthy of being in shape and you expect yourself to eat that ice cream anyway. So that's what you end up doing. You don't blow half of your savings on gambling for the chance to win it all back and then some. You gamble because deep down you worry that the money is going to run out eventually, but not if you can help it, right? You can control how much you put on that table and when to stop. But can you really? The source of this fear of not having enough? Lack of power and feelings of inadequacy. We consume because it's something we can control. We have the choice to buy that new purse. We have the choice to keep or donate the items in our home. We have the choice to eat that entire tub of Rocky Road in one sitting. We have the choice to throw our money on that poker table. Whether you realize it or not, we overconsume because we're afraid that there's not enough, that we're not enough. Ouch. Let's talk about addiction for a minute. While I am fortunate enough to have never fallen victim to addiction, I've dated plenty of people who have. I can't even begin to imagine nor understand the intricacies of an addict's mind, but I have been involved on a level so profound I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy. Being the anchor that clings desperately to the sand trying to keep the ship from floating away? Yeah, that's been me many, many times over. I've dated alcoholics, gambling addicts, what some would call drug addicts, although they called it an experimental phase. And the thing that was most difficult to come to terms with as someone who has a non-addictive personality is that these people were trying to fill a void that no external source could satisfy. No matter how much money they'd throw on the table, no matter how many times they'd hit that stupid bong, no matter how many designer watches they'd buy, no matter how many drinks they'd put on their tab, it was never enough. And it will never be enough. This is the reality of addiction. It's painful to witness, and it's even more painful to watch someone you really care about succumb to their addiction, because there's always an aftermath. Alcohol changes people. Gambling changes people. Drugs change people. Sure, it may bring out your daring, adventurous, and risky side, but it almost always reveals a darker, more sinister, more uncontrolled side, which is ironic because these vices are supposed to make us feel in control when actually the exact opposite ends up happening. So yes, we overconsume because we fear there's not enough, but we also do it because feelings of inadequacy on some level cause us pain. Pain makes people do crazy things, doesn't it? Abuse, sexual assault, run-ins with the cops, life-ruining or threatening decisions. These are usually the types of things that result from unmanaged feelings of inadequacy. Sadly, what addicts can't seem to wrap their heads around is that their decisions not only affect their lives, they also affect the lives of those they care about most. In college, I dated someone who was going through a pretty intense experimental phase, specifically with drugs. Marijuana, cocaine, ecstasy, oxycodone, this phase continued even after he'd graduated. The worst part about being in a relationship with someone who's always high I never actually got to know the real him because he didn't even know who that person was. And that's the point I'm trying to make right there. In the throes of addiction, whether you're the addict or someone you care about is, addiction masks our true state of oneness, our soul flow. How can you get to know yourself if all of your time is spent consuming? Moreover, why would you even want to get to know yourself if you've already come to the decision that you're not enough. Let's switch gears to another form of consumption, overspending, a topic I know many can relate to. 
we'll start with a background of my spending habits. To be frank, I am an overspender through and through. For most of my life, I've lived beyond my means, until about a year ago. We'll get into that later, but for now, let's talk about my mindset pre-soul awakening. When I used to spend money, it was because I wanted things. Not experiences, but things. Like many of us, my spending behavior was driven by external factors. When I was a kid, I'd spend my allowance on the latest toys, Barbies, Tamagotchis, or American Girl accessories. When I was in middle school, I started to get into fashion and makeup, buying the latest clear lip gloss, yes, that was a thing, or jeans with no back pockets, also a thing, or yet another tattoo choker necklace, which have somehow come back into style, and let's not forget the chunky Tiffany & Co. charm bracelets and necklaces, those I really had to save up for. In high school, designer jeans were all the rage, seven jeans and citizens of humanity, especially if you had the bedazzled back pockets. The point of taking you down memory lane is this. I used to spend money on things I thought would make me be perceived in a certain way. I bought things because all the girls at school had whatever that thing was, and not having it somehow made me less than them. I think many of us can relate to this mindset even now as adults. We want the new car, the bigger house, the latest piece of technology, when in reality, what we currently have is perfectly fine. Media, advertisements, commercials, our peers, we learn about the next great thing and suddenly we're all consumed by it. We need it. We must have it. Now, now, now. And to no fault of our own, it's a consumer-driven society, this Western culture. And I fell for it. Until I found the way out. I want to preface what I'm about to say with this. Wanting material things does not make you a bad person. Do I still get excited thinking about driving a Range Rover, my dream car, or one day living in a beautiful flat in London, my dream city? Of course I do. But there's a difference. I'm not all consumed by the need to acquire these things now, now, now. I've had the 3,000 square foot house. I've had the 15 foot pontoon boat. I've owned a Mercedes Benz, two actually. I've had the Tory Burch bags, the Michael Kors wallets, and the Chanel sunglasses. I've had the Bobbi Brown, Mac, and Anastasia Beverly Hills makeup products, all before I turned 30 years old. And you know what? They're just things. Joy from things is fleeting. It only lasts a short while. Two years into my 3,000 square foot house, I wanted to downsize. I was tired of the yard work and constant mopping of the hardwood floors. A year into driving my Mercedes, I was looking at Audi SUVs. Six months into owning the pontoon boat, I was so over the maintenance, extra insurance, and storage fees that I just wanted to be rid of the damn thing. And as for the designer brand clothes and accessories, the joy lasted maybe a week or so, but then I'd toss them to the back of my closet only to be replaced by the next thing a week later. It was always on to the next. Here's the thing. There will always be the next, something new, something better, something improved. Consumerism has us so entangled in its web that we can't possibly break free. It just keeps spinning and spinning and spinning so that we can't see the way out or through. The aftermath of overspending is awful, especially when you're using credit cards. A week of joy, a lifetime of interest, and minimum payments. But even so, you still want more. Because more is better, right? More will make us happy. It just has to. I knew that if I wanted to make a serious and lasting change when it came to my spending, I had to do the one thing I'd resisted doing my entire life. 
I had to look into my habits and identify what exactly was causing me to spend. I started calling these my spending triggers. And once I identified them, I was able to create an action plan to keep me from acting on said triggers. The first spending trigger was obvious, media consumption. Seeing as Facebook and Instagram are inundated with ads nowadays, I couldn't scroll through my feed without seeing a personally targeted ad that was for something I undoubtedly wanted to buy. A new Erin Condren planner? Yep, need one. A Lululemon cycling towel? Absolutely. The latest FabFitFun box? Heck yes. I knew what I had to do. If scrolling through social media triggered my spending habits, I needed to do it less. So that's exactly what I did. I set a designated scroll time on my phone and consciously scrolled, meaning I set a specific intention to not buy anything, to not click on any of the ads, no matter how enticing they might be. My second spending trigger took a lot more internal digging. I knew I had to look even more closely at all the times I'd spent money in the past. Not just what I'd spent my money on, but what had been going on that day or week as well. I started by pulling up my bank statements from the month prior. I added up my expenses for each week, then cross-referenced with my day planner. I wasn't surprised to learn that almost all of my large expenditures came at a time when I was under a lot of pressure and stress. Big presentation at work? How about I buy myself a new blazer that will hopefully boost my confidence? Tension in my relationship? Suppose I'll treat myself to a spa day, facial, mani-pedi, hair appointment, massage, the works. Decision fatigue in choosing the next book to read? Guess I'll buy another five books to add to my growing TBR list instead of reading one of the hundreds of unread copies sitting idly on my bookshelf. It's okay. We've all been there. But get this. My desire to spend money on these things wasn't actually the problem. The problem was that these triggers, the media, the stress, the pressure, were appearing in my life on a regular basis, like weekly. Do I think it's wrong to spend money on a new piece of clothing you love or pamper yourself at the spa or add another book to your collection? Absolutely not. I still do all of these things, but there's one major difference between then and now. Before, I was spending solely to cope with my feelings. Instead of looking at my situation and identifying which areas were causing me the most stress, I simply glossed over them and went after a quick fix. And that quick fix just so happened to be buying things. I'd get that brief feeling of happiness from obtaining something new, only to find that I had to repeat the process the next week when the next high-pressure, high-stress situation rolled around. It's a vicious cycle, which is why I call it the consumption cycle. Had I found the courage to explore deeper, to sit with the shadows in the darkness, to ascertain exactly which situations were causing me the most stress and gather the strength to remove them from my life, perhaps I could have saved myself from a mountain of credit card debt, pointless loans, and a closet full of stuff I used only once or twice. It's not what we're spending our money on. It's the behavior behind it. It's the why. Are you buying something because it's something you truly desire and know in your heart of hearts that as something external, it won't fill the void? Or are you buying something as a way to cope with your feelings, to mask the reality of your situation with something shiny and new? These are very, very different behaviors, and it's absolutely crucial to be able to distinguish one from the other. 
After discerning my why behind my spending, as well as ridding my life of toxic relationships, friendships, work settings, and basically anything that no longer served me, I found that my spending, my consumption, dramatically decreased. Nowadays, if I'm struggling with confidence or self-esteem, I don't go buy a new outfit. I meditate and journal through my feelings instead. If I'm feeling uneasy in a friendship or a relationship, I don't run away to the spa and drop a boatload of cash. I reach out to that person, start a conversation, and express what's been weighing on my heart. If I'm feeling indecisive, I no longer ignore what I already own by adding something new to the collection. I turn to gratitude and focus on all the things I do have versus what I don't. I'm not saying it was easy for me to get to this point. It took a lot of time and a lot of internal work and a lot of energy to face the harsh truths I'd been hiding from all those years. But in doing so, I was able to recognize a pattern of behavior that wasn't aligned with who I truly was, one that was keeping me from experiencing my soul flow. Before, it almost felt as though I'd been rewarding myself for dealing with those toxic situations, with new clothes, spa days, and other material items, instead of addressing them in a way where I'd find lasting peace, forgiveness, and happiness. By turning within. Fear wants you to believe that you are not enough, that you need external things to feel worthy, to feel as though you've arrived, to be accepted and approved of and loved. It wants you to stay in the consumption cycle for the rest of your life so that you'll never discover what's resided in you all along. Wholeness, joy, and love. Reflection. Consider your consumption habits. Are you constantly on the hamster wheel mindlessly scrolling social media? Or are you spending your time in a way that actively engages your creative side? Do you overspend? Do you go a little too far when taking part in recreational activities? Do you gamble? Pick three of these consumption habits to focus on. Try to identify your triggers. What causes you to consume? Is it related to stress, needing approval, being bored, feeling unfulfilled? Once you've identified your consumption triggers, identify three ways in which you can combat it. When stress or approval or boredom strike, what will you do instead of consuming?